welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Lauren Windass is a renowned registered nutritionist, naturopath, author of Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, Your Route to Recovery, and co-founder of Ardere, a holistic well-being company specializing in supporting those with CFS, ME, and long COVID. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me, Jude. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for, for coming because it's really quite difficult for people who have CFS and long COVID to actually find specific nutritional advice and and guidance um, I have found and I think that you yourself have have struggled with that am I right? Yeah absolutely and and I mean there is so much information online and you know I know a lot of clients that have come to me in the past you know they've explained how you know they are just so confused I think there's a lot of information out there but kind of people struggling to kind of put the pieces together of kind of what's going on for them and and you know it is it's a very it's very much a minefield and and there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of nutritionists really dealing in this space. So there are not a lot of people specializing in supporting those who have chronic fatigue syndrome, long COVID or any kind of post-viral conditions. Mm, mm. And I wanted to start actually by, by focusing in on the NHS guidelines, um, because I guess that that is where a lot of people start when they're trying to get basic advice and from reading that myself there's a focus on just following general healthy eating advice which they then um link you to what do you think of of that approach and and how do you think these guidelines could be improved well i suppose the first thing to say is that you know everybody is bio-individual and obviously when we look at these guidelines these are meant for kind of general public consumption for you know every single individual but not actually looking into kind of unique nutritional needs based on a specific condition or what is going on with somebody and but I'm a firm believer in this concept of bio-individuality Um, which essentially means that, you know, for me and when I work with clients, there is no one diet for each person with CFS. You know, I'd say, and just after working with clients, it is entirely unique to each person that sat in front of me. Um, It means that we all have unique nutritional requirements based on our genetic requirements, our hormonal makeup, our nutritional, whether we have deficiencies, for example, our immune tolerance as well. um, And of course, our relationship with food. But just kind of generally speaking, looking at the, I looked at kind of the Eat Well Guide from the NHS, um, and it places quite a large um, focus on carbohydrates um, and then more of a modest focus on protein. Now, when I'm working with clients, one of the kind of number one staples that I love to work on with any CFS clients is blood sugar. I'd say that's kind of one of the key foundations here of health. Um, And that's about finding a stability and a foundation, which obviously impacts 
impacts our energy levels day to day. Um, so in terms of those eat well guides, uh, um, what I would essentially kind of look to switch is almost kind of making a modest focus on those complex carbohydrates and more of a key focus on protein rich foods, which as we know, can really help to stabilize our blood sugar um, and avoid these kind of peaks and troughs on this blood sugar roller coaster. And um, they also include things like fruits and vegetables, which is almost half of your plate. And um, although that being said, I would like to see more of a focus on just generally vegetables um, and a modest amount of fruit due to the obviously the fructose content. So, you know, for me, I like to say to clients, you know, try and incorporate maybe two portions of fruit a day as a kind of maximum. It's about 80 gram portions each um, rather than kind of overdoing it on fruit to kind of because sometimes people think, oh, if I can try and eat, say, five a day, but people eat, say, four, <laughs> four varieties of fruit, maybe one vegetable. And, you know, the best kind of focus is to try and get, um, you know, your fiber intake through the vegetables first. Um, and obviously things like those complex carbohydrates. Um, but really kind of when it comes to building your plate, um, the, the kind of one of the key focuses that I like to kind of recommend to clients, and this actually can be applied to most CFS clients um, in general, is, is to think about your plate as, say, one or two palm-sized servings of lean protein. This is obviously if you include animal products in your diet. So an example would be, say, um, a fillet of salmon or, say, a fillet of chicken breast, which you've cooked. Um, and then you compare that with, with basically like if you think about a fistful of complex carbohydrates. So that's anything from like your starchy veg, like things like sweet potato or butternut squash to opting for whole grains like brown rice, for instance, um, pulses and lentils, things like chickpeas, for example. And then really, as we were talking about vegetables earlier, you know, think about two fistfuls of your plates, um, which is essentially half of your plate of non-starchy vegetables. And, you know, if you think of mu as, as much color as possible, um, that's kind of what you really want to uh, like focus on. Um, and the more of these different varieties of color that we can get into the diet, we basically get more um, of a wealth of different types of fibers. So we know that fiber, fiber is essentially, it's actually a type of carbohydrate, but it passes through our digestive system entirely unchanged. So we don't have the enzyme faculties to break down fiber, but our gut bacteria and um, our beneficial bacteria within our gut actually has the ability to digest that fiber. And as a result can produce these anti-inflammatory byproducts called short chain fatty acids, which have um, essentially like a nurturing effect on our gut lining. And this can help to modulate inflammation and reduce these inflammatory processes, which can potentially be driving CFS symptoms or long COVID symptoms. So that's why we want to kind of think variety because you're getting more different types of fibers there in those veg, but also the colors as well represent that too. Um, and then when it comes to fats, you want to be thinking about kind of one to two thumb-sized servings of these healthy fats. So that could also be represented by a tablespoon, one or two tablespoons. Um, and you want to be thinking of the unsaturated fats. So things like extra virgin olive oil, avocados, coconut and coconut products, um, nuts and seeds, for example, all of these types of things, you know, to help give you basically your brain what it needs to function optimally and also to help us absorb those fat soluble nutrients such as vitamin A, D, E and K. Um, but really, you know, obviously, if you're, um, say, plant based or if you're vegetarian, 
switching those kind of lean proteins, um, as I mentioned earlier, for having half of your plate uh, full of vegetarian or vegan proteins, which might be, say, eggs or a modest amount of dairy if you're vegetarian or, you know, looking for those kind of pulses and um, those grains and those like um, legumes and things like that to help help kind of give that um, protein if you're a vegan. So really it's about thinking about variety, it's thinking about diversity, but trying to go to uh, essentially as much of a whole foods diet as possible whilst looking to avoid those ultra processed, those high sugar energy dense foods um, that are just going to be fanning the flames of chronic inflammation. And obviously, if we're dealing with anything chronic and a chronic illness, uh, illness or, you know, any kind of chronic disease, we really want to be reducing that inflammatory burden and just focusing on as much whole foods as possible. Yeah, great. That's such a great summary. I guess what what was coming through my mind and I'm really curious about your experience um both per- both personally but also professionally is that sounds like it's it's it sounds like a lot of preparation that needs to go into cooking um whole foods from scratch which is kind of the diet that you your body really needs and I'm guessing with in somebody who's got really low energy that may seem really daunting and feel impossible um yeah how i mean how what strategies can you would you recommend because obviously people go for ultra processed food because it's convenient yeah um, it's quick yeah. and it's it then sort of sets off this vicious cycle of 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 chronic inflammation and and we obviously need and want a whole food um balanced diet um full of the rainbow but yeah. how do you marry that how do you how, how how do you recommend or how do your patients find preparing these meals um so that they can still receive the the goodness but not um exhaust themselves in the process Yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. And obviously, if you are, you know, fighting with fatigue, it's easy, easy for me to say, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to go entirely, you know, whole foods, no ultra processed foods. And by no means am I being prescriptive here. And, you know, when I talk about those balanced plates, and I'm I'm not saying to clients, you've got to do this every single day, every meal, and you've got to go cold turkey overnight, because that's just not realistic, you know, especially if somebody's living on their own and they have to prepare these meals themselves, it's going to be a really, you know, a real challenge to achieve. Um, so really the focus is, is on starting small is, is essentially looking at the nutritional makeup of, you know, your unique diet, where you're at, how many ultra processed foods are you consuming? How many meals are you cooking from scratch? Are you able to cook at all? How, how, you know, debilitating is your fatigue? Um, and that's kind of where this all kind of focuses on is, is kind of looking at each individual and making those tailored strategies to them. Some people have the benefit of having a significant other or a helper or a carer who can really help with preparing healthy meals. And in a lot of cases, I've had clients, you know, who have had really supportive, um, you know, partners or friends, whoever they're living with who can really take a step up in terms of helping to prepare these foods. And they go on the, it's quite often that I see people go on the journey together. Um, I know that was certainly the case in my household when I was unwell is, you know, my mom and my sister very much kind of 
took a leap as well and, and decided that we'd all eat the same way um, and we'd all, you know, make a real effort. And as a result, it was beneficial for everyone's health. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits in that. Um, but really, you know, if you are living on your own, if you're challenged, um, I'd say the best start is to kind of consider batch cooking. Um, so, you know, focusing on those days where say maybe your energy is a little bit higher on those days. And and this kind of comes into play with pacing, um, which is an energy management strategy I work on with clients is, you know, kind of managing and rationing their energy envelope. Um, but looking at the days where they obviously have, um, more energy capacity and where they can set aside some time. You know, I always say to people that, are, you know, those clients that are able to work maybe like a Sunday afternoon, just to get ahead on some meal preparation. Maybe it's you make a batch of something. Uh, you can put things in um, a Tupperware box or like freeze things, you know, for a rainy day. So you've always got something there. Um, but things like, um, you know, just kind of making easy breakfasts like overnight oats, for example. It's literally just kind of, you know, putting some oats into a bowl, adding some milk or a plant-based milk, adding in your berries, sprinkling on some nuts and seeds, and you can make a big batch of that for maybe three breakfasts. Obviously trying to kind of rotate your kind of things that you're adding to it, whether it's your fruits or your nuts, for example, to get that variety in. Um, but just thinking about ways that you can plan ahead and batch cook for those times when energy is like flagging and um, but just using your time wisely to make food and make eating a priority um, and certainly if you know your energy is really low just avoiding those kind of low-hanging fruits those ultra processed high sugar foods if you're snacking on chocolates cakes and biscuits just focus on those three meals that you're eating a day um, and it's not about being perfect or prescriptive it's just starting to think about the, the nutritional makeup of your plate and you know are you getting those macronutrients in that protein that um fat and those those complex carbohydrates um, and just starting to kind of develop a nutritional awareness i think that's the kind of starting point yeah that makes so much that makes so much sense and i guess like these are um having something to work towards like knowing what you're working towards is really helpful yeah now you mentioned like an emphasis on lower carb diets and I've seen actually some some nutritionists and um, naturopathic doctors um, really support no carb diets so really going paleo or ketogenic diets for their patients who have got chronic fatigue and I, I've just been to um, a conference the IPM conference, the Integrative and um, Personalised Medical Conferences last week. And there was quite an emphasis in some cases, not necessarily just for chronic fatigue, but for other um, chronic illnesses that some doctors are really um, advising to go on these diets, which I found quite surprising, actually. And I'm really curious as to what your, um, what your position is on those for those with chronic fatigue. Yeah. So, so I think ultimately, you know, with these types of diets, um, especially things like ketogenic, you know, it's a spectrum. Um, not everybody needs to go to these lengths. Um, and as I say, everybody's different. And, and I always say, like, I'm not an advocate of like this diet or that diet per se. I'm not somebody that's 
follow this and you'll get well. You know, you've got to do this approach because as, as I say, we all have unique needs, whether it's physical or also mental. And, you know, if you think about the ketogenic diet, it's heavily restrictive. You know, it's very difficult to maintain a social life. You know, that's a lot of my clients are always saying to me, you know, I, people feel restricted anyway with their diet when they're on a recovery diet for CFS. And um, there's a lot of things that, you know, especially if they're dealing with like intolerances and sensitivities that, you know, they feel restricted anyway. So to kind of add another layer of restriction just feels like that much more weight on their system. Um, but, you know, I've had some clients do say, for, for example, ketogenic diets, um, they more, more so that they've come to me having followed them. Um, but again, you know, some people benefit from that kind of blood sugar perspective. And, and I can talk to you in a bit about how important I feel blood sugar is um, in, and, you know, regulating your blood sugar um, in terms of dealing with CFS. But by no means is it a one size fits all. And, you know, some people might follow these diets for a certain stage in the game. Maybe if they're more um, in those kind of severe stages of CFS, that crash stage when they first become unwell. Um, but, you know, from a long term perspective, I'm a big advocate of trying to get people towards a more inclusive, embracive um, diet that, you know, allows for more liberation. Um, and as I say, at different parts of the journey, there might be different requirements. Um, but I hope that answers your question. But as I say, with keto, you know, it can help some people in the sense of blood sugar management. Um, does it help us in terms of the fact that, you know, we it, it can be kind of stave off our gut microbes if we're not including a lot of diversity or variety in there potentially? So there's that to consider. But there's also those mental aspects around the diet, that being that it is heavily restrictive and it can negatively impact people's relationship with food. And I've had a lot of clients come to me, you know, with CFS who have done a variety of, you know, food maneuvers over the years. And, and as a result, their relationship with food has been heavily damaged. So I'm always kind of thinking of these other things in the background as much as the physical side too. Mm, yeah, that's, that's really so important. Um, that's so important to consider, to consider as well. And I'm, I'm really curious. Can you tell, can you talk to me more around the importance that you feel sugar control is for people with chronic fatigue? So, so with our blood sugar, you know, it's something that obviously it, it can actually affect every single person in the world. You know, it's not, you know, sometimes people think, oh, it's just if you're diabetic. <laughs> Uh, whether type one or type two, that, you know, blood sugar is something to be considering. But actually, we know how much of our blood sugar can influence our risk of various different chronic diseases. But specifically in CFS, it's important to consider how blood sugar and, and what we're eating and how we're eating, um, how that actually impacts our energy. Um, so I always say to clients, look at how your energy changes around meals. So that's a good question to ask yourself, you know, does your fatigue feel better after eating or does it feel worse so we want to what we want to achieve is no change in energy around a meal so if there is an energy increase after a meal then it might be the case that that person is more hypoglycemic so more on kind of the low blood sugar spectrum um, but if somebody's energy drops after a meal then they might be more hyperglycemic so somebody that's prone to kind of low blood sugar would need to eat more frequently so considering maybe three meals a day at a minimum, um, and then potentially balanced snacks. 
you know, things that are rich in protein, fiber, healthy fats, for example, to help kind of slow any releases of sugars into the blood. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, so basically kind of focusing on the, that regulation there. So the consistency. Um, and then if somebody has high blood sugar, it would be, you know, essentially the opposite. So if blood sugar is lingering around and it's not necessarily going anywhere for a period of time, then you want to consider maybe sticking to around two, or maybe three meals a day, but be conscious of the snacking. So kind of just knowing your, your pattern and, and how your energy is affected based on, you know, how you feel after eating. Do you feel better? Do you feel worse? It's just a good way to kind of help to understand your personalized blood sugar levels. I mean, some people can, you know, get really into it by looking at the um, the blood sugar monitorings, you know, when you're looking at your personalized reaction to foods. Um, but really this helps us to kind of keep our hormone systems in balance. Um, and things like cortisol as well. We know cortisol is largely affected, cortisol being our body's major stress hormone. Um, and that's hugely affected in CFS. Um, so, you know, it's the hormone that essentially pulls out stored glucose from, um, from storage, whether in our muscles, for example, and it helps to put it into circulation. So, you know, even if we're highly stressed and we know that CFS is a very stress sensitive condition, especially where people are predominantly firing this fight or flight state, it means that sugar is going to be kept in the bloodstream for longer. So if you're somebody that has high blood sugar, for example, then stress management is a kind of key strategy here, as well as obviously what you're eating and how consistently you're eating as well. So, but just generally speaking, you know, it's thinking about those balanced plates, eating more protein with each meal. That's kind of your number one to focus on and things like fiber as well. Um, and those healthy fats, but also avoiding those refined sugar products because those are going to cause like this wham bam effect on our energy which is going to impact things like fatigue brain fog headaches you know all the spectrum of different symptoms we see in cfs and um, it's starting to think about you know how that blood sugar is tightly um connected to those symptoms mm. and why do you do you have an understanding about why keeping blood sugar control um, is so important. So I'm hearing that like it's important in with with regards to symptom management. Um, are there any other reasons why focusing on blood sugar control might also help um, in the recovery of CFS? Is is there is there any clarity on that? Well, I think it's mostly from a hormonal balance perspective, but also obviously if we're consistently firing our, our blood sugar and if we're kind of peaking our blood sugar consistently throughout the day, that's a process that can encourage oxidative stress, inflammation. This can impact the ability of our mitochondria to produce energy, um, which these are little kind of tiny energy factories within our body cells. So from kind of a cellular health perspective, but also from a hormonal perspective, it's about helping to maintain balance, but to avoid any kind of inflammatory processes. Um, and we know that obviously keeping that blood sugar stable is kind of one of the key ways to kind of manage as I say, inflammation, hormonal balance, all of these different things. And all of these facets are essentially dysregulated in CFS. It's a condition, obviously, that affects our various systems from our neuroendocrine to our immune, nervous um, system, et cetera. And so what we want to do is kind of keep these systems as tightly regulated as we can. And obviously, that's one of the key kind of modulators that we can control is blood sugar. And we can really impact that through what we're eating. Hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I think um, I think patients who um, are struggling with conditions such as these need to know where to focus their attention in what they can control um, so that they can, they, because a sense of control even is, is important. Um, mm-hmm. And um, then also being being able to enact some sort of agent, you know, of change in in the way that they are feeling and the way their body is feeling is um, that energy can be directed to getting them well. Um, Because there's so much that we can't control. Um, But if there are areas such as nutrition that may move the needle, um, I think it's really important that patients are aware of that so that they can really... um, take that on board as much or as little as they want, but um, the information needs to be there on how they can optimize it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you mentioned um, some people are going to have nutritional deficiencies, and this is a particular problem in those with CFS, because as you've mentioned, a lot of them, a lot of patients um, try restricting. Um, There also can be quite hypersensitive to many foodstuffs and sensations and um, smells, which can make deficiencies a lot more likely. Um, And then you also touched on multiple, you know, sensitivities to foods, allergies to foods, which can really hinder um, getting this balanced approach. How do you, how do you deal with um, people who present in this way because it's a real problem within this community yeah it is and you know I think this is why nutrition is such a key facet um, in CFS recoveries because people are met with all of these strange symptoms but they're reacting also to foods as well so we do see food reactions heavily in chronic fatigue syndrome um, and so it's important I always kind of highlight the difference between kind of the different food reactions because there's always a lot of confusion and so essentially we have like obviously the standard kind of classic food allergies these are these kind of um ige so this kind of um, antibody in our immune system these are kind of these severe reactions we get to foods um things like peanuts for example you know like those classic example of somebody being on a plane and not being able to be anywhere in contact with a peanut um, and these symptoms you know can be severely life-threatening things like anaphylaxis for example um, and then that stems all the way through to things like food sensitivities and food intolerances um, these are I guess we could say less severe in, in the sense of being life-threatening, but they are still very, very bothersome and very debilitating for a lot of people. So food intolerances are essentially when the body tends to lack a particular enzyme to digest a food. So for example, lactase, which is the enzyme to digest lactose, the sugar in dairy and milk. Um, or it could be the case that maybe, um, you know, somebody's the gut is struggling to break something down properly or when the gut bacteria start to ferment a food, um, which is kind of an example in the case of FODMAPs, um, which are the fermentable sugars in various fruits and vegetables and whole grains and pulses um, that essentially when our gut bacteria tends to have a field day um, with these types of food, that's kind of classic food intolerance. Um, 
A food sensitivity is slightly different. Um, it's essentially an immune-mediated reaction to a food that can cause widespread symptoms. So we call these extra-intestinal symptoms. And these can occur not just within the digestive tract, but also, you know, widespread throughout the body. And symptoms here, you know, are the kind of classic things that, you know, very much mirror uh, CFS. So fatigue, brain fog, headaches, joint pain, skin rashes, um, and there's a whole plethora of uh, other symptoms on top of that. And this is kind of where we have this silent inflammation going. Um, and it's basically where the immune system has lost tolerance to a certain food protein. And um, this can be linked with autoimmune symptoms as well. And one example is um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity here. And, um, you know, it's, I, I commonly see a lot of, so I guess the most common kind of uh, food reactions that I tend to see is gluten, this is in CFS, gluten, dairy, um, FODMAPs, also histamine as well. So histamine uh, being something obviously that our immune system produces um, in, in inflammatory reactions. Uh, but we also get histamine in certain foods like tomatoes, dried fruits, um, fermented foods, for example. And sometimes we can have an issue um, basically breaking down that histamine. We have an, an inability to kind of metabolize it. So we got histamine buildup and that can relate to symptoms that are in CFS, particularly the allergy symptoms and um, problems with our mast cells, which are immune um, cells where we kind of get these allergy symptoms um, and also sulfur intolerance as well. So sulfur being um, a mineral in the diet, which is important, but sometimes people struggle to maintain balance. And um, so just to kind of walk back, obviously I've just waffled on a little bit there, but we, as I say, we we tend to kind of see all of this kind of boatload of different intolerances. It could be different for each person, but one of the key kind of drivers of food sensitivities is this leaky gut phenomenon. Um, and our gut is essentially our interface with our immune system. And we know that 70% of our immune system is in the gut. Um, and so what can happen is, is that when this, this gut become, all the gut membranes in the gut lining becomes permeable, we can get these food proteins that kind of seep out and then can, as a result, cause an inflammatory cascade. And gluten can be one of the kind of key culprits of this leaky gut barrier. Um, and as a result, this can lead to a range of food sensitivities because it's quite often that we don't just see one food sensitivity, but we see maybe, you know, two or three kind of going on. So, you know, we have to work on the gut there. And that's why kind of key premise of, you know, when I'm working with clients is to kind of, you know, take out kind of any inflammatory foods, but replace with these nutrient dense foods, but things that are going to really help to repair and, um, you know, help to support that gut lining. And that can also, as a result, help to reduce the likelihood of food sensitivities. Uh, but when it comes to isolating those food sensitivities, uh, or, or food reactions and intolerances it is really working on a three-stage approach. So I always ask clients to do um, a three-week food and symptom diary. So they essentially record and track um, everything that they're eating from a three-week period. Um, and then if they spot any specific trigger foods that they potentially relate to their symptoms, then I'd ask them to eliminate those for a period of six weeks minimum. Um, and if there isn't any improvement, then you could give it a few more weeks just to kind of double check that you fully removed that trigger food. Let's say it's maybe gluten and they maybe realize that they're, you know, getting some form of gluten through using a toaster or sharing a toaster with somebody in their household. 
Um, or it might be the case that they're not re actually reacting to that food after all. Um, so just kind of checking to see that, you know, if you've removed a potential trigger food. And then once symptoms are at bay, um, it, it's all about kind of reintroducing those foods, but doing so one at a time. So if you've removed and eliminated let's say three foods, um, you only basically introduce one at a time. So you wait three days for each new, new food that's been introduced to help to see if there's a reaction, whether it's an immediate or a delayed reaction to that food. And then you can, you know, once basically help to expand your diet out thereafter. Um, you know, if you're still reacting to a food, then you can eliminate that, um, you know, for a period of three to six months and then reassess. But the overall goal is trying to kind of get more of a, an embrace um inclusive diet but sometimes when we're dealing with these uh food reactions it's just about giving you know the time for one your digestive system but also to your immune system a little bit of time to reset rebalance and restore um, until you then try and reintroduce those just to see how your tolerance profiles change uh, and how your symptoms are, are faring as well once you introduce those foods and I guess it's also in in the meantime, by eating the suggested diet, you know, switching over to a more whole food um, rainbow kind of approach, you are, as you as you mentioned before, really feeding the microbiome. And, yeah. And building up, you know, your the the mucin layer that um is really required to fix that leaky that leaky permeability of the gut and therefore tolerance to these, what we used to be trigger foods may in fact um, really improve because the underlying gut lining has been um, improved. I was going to say healed, but I mean, you know, yeah. has been improved, you know, it has, it has, it has restored as you mentioned. Exactly. And, you know, we, we all can have some degree of this kind of gut leakiness, this intestinal permeability, but the, the nature of this kind of opening and closing of these tight junctions and allowing food particles or, you know, proteins or toxins to kind of seep out and cause this inflammatory cascade is lessening. And that's what we want to aim for. And that's why, you know, if we kind of, as you say, the benefit of doing this approach is, is you do go to this whole foods diet as much as you can. Um, and you're giving your, your gut, you're giving your immune system that breathing room to then just help to, to self-regulate. Um, but as I say, we, we all have a degree of this kind of leaky gut, but it's just helping to, um, basically, you know, lessen that, um, that inflammatory cascade and, and give it that breathing room just to respond store itself um, and, you know, repair. And that's ultimately what we want. And that's kind of one of the key approaches to me when I'm working with clients is, is thinking about these, the boatload of these um, food reactions, but then trying to get the body to a place where tolerance can be restored. They, they are able to then go, oh, I can go out to this restaurant and I can eat this food. Uh, and you're not restricted forever because the question I'm always asked is, will I have to eat this way forever? And, you know, people are miserable on these recovery diets. And, you know, yes, they are necessary. And sometimes they can be very, very important for a degree of time. But the end goal is to get the body to a place where it can handle things, it can tolerate things. And that's proof positive that the body is restoring, repairing and rebalancing. Mm -hmm. because ultimately the body is a regenerative is a is, is, yeah. is set to um is set to heal itself and um, sometimes we just need to pay attention to what it needs in order to position it to be yeah. able to do that 
And I guess that's what these recovery diets are really just allowing you to focus on so that your body is able to heal from whatever injury it has received. So, you know, ultimately that's, um, it's sort of putting our trust and faith in our bodies, which I can really imagine has been challenged when someone's gone through such a debilitating diagnosis um, and long, long recovery process, uh, you know, with, with chronic fatigue. I think I imagine a lot of trust has been lost with someone and their bodies in, in, in that whole journey. Yeah, definitely. And it always, you know, for a lot of clients, they always feel like it's one step forward, two steps back. Uh, one of the kind of key things I try to tell clients is, is just to inspire yourself forwards, but always measure yourself backwards. So always thinking like, you know, rather than thinking, oh, I've got, I've got ages and ages to go until I'm recovered. I'm not there yet. Instead of thinking that, think actually, look how far I've come. And if you can build the evidence that recovery is possible and you believe that other improvements are to be made, that improvements have been made. And, you know, you've just got to look back at you maybe where you were six months ago. And sometimes people fail to see because people think, well, I'm not better. I'm not hundred percent. And we get so fixated on this hundred percent idea of health. Um, and sometimes it's a perfectionist mindset. And I think when you're dealing with anything chronic, we become heavily um, filtered on our body and our symptoms. So we start to filter through everything. And we, we think you maybe wake up one morning with a headache or, you know, a, a minor niggle and you think, oh, okay, like the CFS, it's back. Or, you know, you start to kind of um, snowball or edit out all the positives in your day. And so it's just about thinking, actually, I'm not going to negate the progress I've made because actually that progress, even if it might seem minute, it's actually a positive step in the right direction. And that is evidence that you can take to say, I can still move the needle. I can still keep moving forwards, even if it might feel laborious, even if it might feel slow, um, but really focusing on that. Um, and I think that's really, really important to just, as I say, keep moving forwards, always measure yourself backwards and be grateful for the lessons learned. You know, I always think when you're dealing with something like this, you learn a lot of valuable lessons in health management, uh, how to prevent other chronic diseases from developing, let's say um, type two diabetes, for example. You know, we learn all the principles of healthy living. Um, and these are key facets we can um, use and empower ourselves forward, empower our families and our friends. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of valuable lessons learned amidst the struggle. Um, and I'm not saying there isn't struggle because there is, but, um, but yeah, there are a lot of lessons there that are valuable. And I, I can just imagine, you know, it must be so supportive for someone to come and get this sort of advice from someone who's lived through it themselves. You must be a big inspiration to many of them to see how far you've come yourself. Oh, well, I hope, I hope so. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's it's nice to know, like, even for myself, like to speak to clients and to be able to kind of relate to them and vice versa. Obviously, they can relate to the fact that I've gone through it. Um, it it's a real like rewarding thing. Um, but yeah, I think, 
you know, I, I sometimes struggle, I hesitate to always compare and say like, I did this, you know, this is what you should do. But yes, I have walked in their shoes, but also it's about, as I say, individualization, their case will be entirely different to mine. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of the principles kind of mirror the same, you know, things, things in terms of like looking at those balance plates, how can we manage their blood sugar? How are they feeling after eating and, and working on those food sensitivities and the boatload of that, but with the overall goal being to get back to something with more balance and um, because as I say the question I'm always asked is you know can I go back to eating a normal diet and it's like me I used to be very heavily restricted my diet and you know now I don't label my diet as such so that's like you know I suppose that's an evidence in itself really and it's lovely that I'm able to tell clients that so mm, mm. and you've just opened your practice Arjuray, um, which really. Um, is designed to support those with CFS and ME um, and now long COVID. Can you share with with our, with my listeners, you know, how what what that would look like, and um, and tell us a little bit about the book you've written, um, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome: Your Route to Recovery. Of course. So, so artery and um, artery is a Latin translation of the word glow. So it's kind of our interpretation of how you feel when you're healthy and happy. You very much glow from the inside out. Um, and so, yeah, I work um, with clients in my clinical practice. So we have different packages on offer um, and basically they're all kind of essentially there to support those that are going through CFS, ME, long COVID. Um, and basically what we do is, is I basically work um, on a case by case basis, as, as we've mentioned earlier, we cover the nutritional strategies, we cover that person's unique case in depth, but we also cover the lifestyle strategies as well. So we look at um, very much pacing um, and managing that post exertional malaise, which is essentially kind of one of the key um fundamental symptoms in CFS that basically where you maybe exert your energy threshold and you're met with exacerbations in your fatigue and your other symptoms. So we really work to kind of manage your energy envelope to get to a point where your energy reserves increase as recovery and restoration start to happen. We work on stress management. We work on the mindset as well and how we fundamentally know that the mind and body are hugely connected in CFS. As we know, it's a it's a physical condition, but it's a physiological condition. So if we can influence our thoughts for the better to help get your mindset on track, um, we can really help to alleviate the stress response, which can help to alleviate those symptoms from, um, you know, waxing and waning all the time um, just to help to get your recovery moving forwards. Uh, we also do things like functional testing as well. Um, so, you know, whether that's uh, hormonal profiling, looking at adrenal stress tests, thyroid, microbiome, genetics, nutritional status, um, toxic insults, et cetera, anything that might be kind of driving the boatload of dysregulations, we can kind of adopt a root cause approach to you and then personalize a tailored nutritional and supplement approach as well. So we very much kind of cover all of the different pillars of health. We talk about sleep, environment, detoxification, um, and how, you know, as you say, people can really personalize their journey to them and where they're at and what their unique needs are. Um, and then, yeah, so my book um, very much contextualizes, I guess it's, well, it's split into three parts, really. So 
The first part is um, a bit about my journey. So how I got into kind of doing what I do now and my own journey with CFS um, back when I was at university uh, and the approaches that I tried to get myself well. Um, The second part contextualizes the science and the background of what we know so far with chronic fatigue syndrome. So some of the evidence um, and the complexities and how it affects the different systems. But I've tried to break it down into very easy to understand sound bites for people, you know, especially those that are dealing with fatigue. Um, And then the third part is very much kind of your route to recovery. As I say, I'm not somebody that has like a a strict panacea uh, of, you know, this is my approach and you you follow this way and you'll get get well as though it's like a recipe. Um, as I say, everybody's journey is entirely unique. Um, it's very much a healing journey and you'll learn all different things along the way. But, you know, based on the pillars of functional medicine and lifestyle and nutrition, it's it's all about kind of delving in deep to those pillars of nutrition, lifestyle and mindset um, to really personalize your way forward. So we talk all about a little bit about what we talked about today, Jude, uh, you know, with the nutritional strategies, how you can, you know, learn about gut health, how you can learn about stress management approaches, why is the mind and body connection so important to understand and how can you think about, you know, your beliefs around recovery um, and, and your lifestyle and your environment, pacing, and how you approach exercise with CFS. Um, it's really kind of, um, I guess, a, a manual, but people can personalize to their own journey. So you use it as a bit of a toolkit to help you maximize your way forward. It's such a holistic approach, Lauren, really um, acknowledging the effect our mind, body, um, and soul all play a role and work together, um, which really plays out in CFS. And so focusing on all of these and acknowledging all of these is really the key to recovery. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, like, as you say, it, it is very holistic. And um, I've tried to, in section two, I've tried to marry up as much of, you know, the evidence that we have so far scientifically of, you know, what causes CF. And obviously we don't have like the full answer to that. Uh, we know certain elements of that answer. Um, but not all of it, as I say. So it's trying to marry, I guess, the evidence with anecdote because I feel like healing is as much an art as it is a science. Um, and when you're dealing with anything chronic like this, where we don't have all the answers, I think sometimes we have to suspend our disbelief slightly. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's where the, the naturopathic approach comes in, where we have to kind of, and as I say, that's that personalized element is that everybody is different. So it's hard to kind of say, oh, we can take these studies and, you know, look at cohorts of people and this is the approach that works because actually, you know, if we look at CFS as an umbrella, there are different, you know, I guess different needles in the haystack for different people and potentially what might be kind of their underlying driver going on. And that's where we use the functional testing to help kind of pinpoint those things. Um, But as I say, I'd say it's a combination of anecdote and evidence in there in in terms of kind of clinical experience, should I say, and that healing journey. Mm, mm. Well, I just want to say thank you to, to you for sharing not only with us on the podcast today, but in more general terms through the writing of your book, through the um, setting up of your practice, because I think it's a very powerful combination to have the professional expertise that you have, but also the personal experience of having and recovering from um, a chronic illness such as this that really um, 
will help so many people. Um, so I really want to thank you for that. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciated you having me on. And where can people find you, Lauren? So you can find me hanging out on Instagram. So uh, my handle is Lauren Windus Nutritionist or our company obviously is Ardere. So that's spelled A-R-D-E-R-E or on ardere.com or laurenwindus.com. Great. And I'll pop all of those in today's show notes. And um, yes, a big thank you again. And I'll speak to you hopefully soon. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have thank a lovely you, Lauren. Take care. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.